Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're on the phone with Paul Ferrucci, who lives here locally in Connecticut. And Paul, thank you for being on the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you. And uh, thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. And Paul, we got introduced for our audience listening at home. You were one of our recipients of our blanket program and you sent in the picture and um, I got to I'm going to be honest with our audience. Uh, how old are you, Paul? Because you, you, I looked at the picture, and you're, you're very young. You're right around probably my age. I'm 49. I just turned 49. 49. So close enough. I mean, it's just uh, when I saw the picture, and then I think you had um, sent the picture and had thanked us for the blanket and everything, and I said, you know what? Let's try to get Paul on the podcast. Um, just your smile having the blanket on you is just uh every time i see it i love when we use that picture but it's just awesome and so i appreciate you taking time today to share your story with our audience about your journey with pancreatic cancer and um you know sending you a blanket is the least we can do i hope it's given you a lot of comfort and a lot of strength as you go through this journey so with that uh, why don't you give our audience, and this is kind of the time where I tell all our guests, the floor is yours, the mic is yours, um, go ahead and share your story, as much of your story that you would like to share with our audience, and it could be your background, and we could fast forward to where you are today, and, and I know you, you've, you're still kind of battling pancreatic cancer, and, and talk a little bit about that as well. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm 49. I'm very, very healthy before I had pancreatic cancer or diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, I was always a gym guy, um, fitness, eat right, um, you know, sleep eight, nine hours a night, work hard, work seven days a week at my job, um, stay busy, very active, very healthy. I was never, ever sick my whole life. And, um, you know, this was kind of unexpected. You know, and um, it all started with just a stomach ache, and uh, I was misdiagnosed three times, believe it or not. So it probably would have been a little better if I was diagnosed sooner, but it went a couple of months before I was diagnosed. Um, I was waking up during the night with stomach aches that I never felt before. Um, I knew something was wrong. I go to the doctors, and they tell me there's nothing wrong with me. Um... I go to the GI doctor, they do a colonoscopy, endoconoscopy, and they find nothing wrong with me. It's all in my head. Um, and I come back home, and I just knew there was something different about my body and something was going on. So that's when I went to Yale Medicine. Um, Yale took me in, listened to what I had to say, and they diagnosed me within 30 minutes of stage 4 pancreatic cancer. So back up for a second, Paul, and this, this, this like really irritates me, and this is the first time I'm hearing this story. So you go and get a colonoscopy and an endoscopic ultrasound, which for those listening at home, colonoscopy I think is probably more known in the public just because of the awareness of colon cancer where you're asleep, they, um, you know, they put a camera um, through your intestine uh, from the back end. Um, and look for anything that doesn't look good, whether it's a polyp um, or some uh, something else. An endoscopic ultrasound is similar, where you're asleep again, and they stick a camera down your throat, 
and they can get that thing all the way down there. I mean, they can see your esophagus, they go down into your stomach, they can go through your intestines, and eventually, you know, with some of the endoscopic, you know, you can do even an ERCP, which gets close to the bile duct, and they can look at the pancreas and everything. So the, the endoscopic ultrasound didn't come back with anything that was out of ordinary. Correct. And then you said the, the first, you said it was three times, so there were other... There are other situations. You 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 laughed a little bit there, but I, I I can I know that's kind of probably a laugh and frustration, with, and this really pains me because similar journey. Not that my journey is like yours, but my dad's. You know, for I think it was about six to eight months he was misdiagnosed, and it's so frustrating, Paul, that that was almost eight years ago actually longer, it was like almost 10 years ago that we're, we were misdiagnosed. And still to this day that there is still doctors out there that are misdiagnosing or missing the signs that are relatively right in front of them, potentially of this disease. Mm-hmm. So it's just frustrating. And uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that because that is not... Um, that, that's not the way that science and medicine should be in this country where we've got some of the best at what they do in the world. And to know that, at least for me, 10 years later, that this stuff is still going on, which I, I know it is, but to hear it come out of your mouth is, is, is annoying. And that's not on you. That's on the medical community. So I hope there's doctors listening, and I'm sure there are. Like, you know, get with it. Like, it's, it's enough's enough. Like... Stop putting patients through this uh, this process of misdiagnosis for months. I apologize for going on a tangent, but that's so annoying to hear that you went through a similar experience that my family experienced, and it's just, uh, I, I feel for you, buddy. Thank you very much. Um, that said, um, I am a stage four pancreatic cancer patient. I was diagnosed um, March, April... Let me see. April 1st of 2018, I was diagnosed. I was told I had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Um, at that point, um, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about it, and I didn't even know what a pancreas was. Um, so I, I, I knew I had cancer, but I didn't know anything about it. And um, I learned... Through this journey of fighting it for the last 11 months, a lot about it. And the more I learn about it, the better I get. So what have you, so you, you said you, you learned a lot about it and the better you get. So again, for the audience listening at home, what are some of the things just in the past? I mean, it it's, hasn't been a full year, Paul, here, but I know the journey when you're diagnosed, but like you said, you were misdiagnosed for a while there like so potentially we could say like going back to that initial first misdiagnosis was you know i mean you were sick there was something going on you just didn't officially diagnose it then so let's say for all intents and purposes probably over a year what are some of the things that you can share with our audience that you've kind of done through this journey to better educate and to also improve you know the knowledge on this this, this disease because i will agree with you a lot of people in in I hope you don't feel guilt not knowing anything about it prior because 
I will tell you doing this eight years, 99% of the people are the same. Like no one knows anything about it until they, they have to, unfortunately. Yes. Um, and you know, if you go online and you read this stuff, it says, you know, you got three weeks to live and Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, and you know what? You just can't believe what you read online because the online stuff is so confusing and so wrong at times that it, it'll steer people in a negative direction. And my key to beating pancreatic cancer is positive attitude. I know people have heard, oh, yeah, stay positive, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this is a real fact. I'm telling you, it's all about being positive. It's all about getting the stressors out of your life. And it's, it's not hating the cancer. It's actually liking the cancer. That's what, that's how I'm beating it. Trying to be its friend instead of its enemy. And it's in my body. There's no cure for it at the point right now. So I became its friend. So I work with it. And so far, we together, my cancer and I, are doing very well. I was um, already pretty close to hospice. Um, I was in the hospital three months on oxygen, basically. Wasn't told I had three weeks to live, but basically I was pretty close to death already. Um, And because of my positive attitude and my chemotherapy, that's very important, um, I've been able to keep my cancer at bay and beat the odds uh, of most people with the same diagnosis I have. You get that? Yeah, that's so powerful, Paul. I'm just taking notes here, so if there are any pauses, just don't. Uh, I, I'm listening, man, and I'm just trying to think. Like, wow, like so. Uh, staying positive is amazing, but how do you do that, Paul? I mean, you just said like three, three months ago, like you you were or you were in the hospital for three months on oxygen and on hospice care, and now you're back at home and. Uh, I'm sure you're not going to rush out to clean off the car because it's so cold. But, you know, even if the weather was nicer, I mean, maybe that would play into it. But, like, how, where does that come from? Where does that positivity come from? And maybe was there a moment that made that happen? Or were you just like that before? i always been positive my whole life. Um, and I just brought the positivity with my cancer. And... Um, I'm a fighter. I'm really, really tough. You know, I'm, I'm, my voice is changing right now because um, the more I talk, I'm just letting the audience know, the more I talk, the more I lose my voice a little bit. That's only from the chemotherapy. It's just a, a small symptom that I have no problem with. Um, but um, I just want to make sure that the audience knows that if my voice does change a little bit, it's still me talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, let me get back on track here. Um as far as staying positive, um, it comes from my insides. This is my genetics. And anybody can have this genetics that I have. I can share it with you and learn from what I have gone through, how I have taken this, and moving in a positive situation, a negative situation, to a positive situation. I, I don't think I ever think negative at all. Um, I'm, I do my normal things now, 
and if I can't do my normal things, I fight to do my normal things, and I sort of get it done. Yes, um, I work on Corvettes, okay? This is what I love to do. This is my passion. My passion is cars, okay? I have a garage. I have a lift. I have a heated garage. And I'll go in there still to this day and work on cars. I'm not as strong as I used to be, but I could still do it. I've done it to today. I was working on one of my Corvettes yesterday. Yeah, I'm a little weak. I get tired. You know, I got to take a break, you know, because my legs are numb and my arms are numb. But I don't even think about it. You know, it's cold outside. Okay, it's winter. I just deal with it. I do what I used to do. Put a jacket on, put a scarf on, put gloves on, go do my thing. I don't let anything really stop me. I believe that my hobby does help me keep on moving and uh, not staying in bed all day. That's another key to a lot of people because if you stay in bed all day and watch TV, it's very unhealthy. It's it's not good. You don't want to do that. Normally, when you're not sick, you don't do that. You go to work, you're walking, you're doing this. And you want to kind of stay on that same track. Go for a walk outside, go to the gym, go uh, exercise, um, do something you like to do. Do a... Um, do an activity that you like to do, even if it's um, drawing or whatever. As long as your your mind is busy and your uh, body is moving, if you don't want to be staying in bed to 10 to 12 hours a day, that's no good. That's the worst thing you can do. For me, when I started moving and I started doing things, I, I was in a wheelchair. I was unable to walk at one point. And uh, by t t today... 11 months diagnosis, I'm able to get out of my bed like a normal person, go make my breakfast like I did this morning, and put my jacket on, go outside, don't even worry about the cold because it's winter, and go run errands like I normally used to. <laughs> um, I myself, it's hard to believe the stuff I do today because I was so sick six months ago that I would never think I would be in this position today, but... Like I said, because of my positive attitude and being a friend of cancer, believe it or not, has gotten me to where I am today. That's so amazing, Paul. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to harp on this, but so when you were in that hospital for three months, is that when you realized kind of like, hey, I, I need to become friends with this thing in order to defeat this thing or to, to stay positive? Or was that the mindset? Like when you got diagnosed, clearly you know, go, being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, I should say, is probably the, the better term there, three times, there's got to be a sense of frustration. And I know, like, we can stay as positive as we want, but there's, I wonder what was, was there a point, and maybe it goes back to the three months, or maybe it was being misdiagnosed, at some point there that you just said, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be the friend of this cancer, or... um you know, that the positivity, you know, I know you said you've always been kind of positive, you know, was there something along in that three months that got you through? I mean, hindsight, as we say, is always twenty twenty, And it's just so powerful to hear you just say like, hey, like I got up today, got myself out. Um, you know, I made myself breakfast. Um, and three months ago, I was in a wheelchair and couldn't move. You know, like what was the catalyst or what was the, the tipping point, I guess, is probably a better term as well, that that happened or made it, that happen. 
Oh, God. Like I, like I said, uh, 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 I, I became friends with my cancer, okay? People say you got to stay, you know, I tell them I have, I, I meet people out or I'm in public and I meet one of my coworkers that I haven't seen in a year and I tell them I have cancer, you know, and they're looking at me like, you know, you're going to die. And no, I'm not going to die. <laughs> Just because I have cancer doesn't mean I'm on a death wish. Or this, I don't even think anything like that. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to live longer and I'm going to break records. And my goal, and I want to show people that you can beat this. I'm telling you, I over and over again, I keep on reading it. You know, I go online at night and I'll, you know, I only relax at night in my bed. And I'll, I'll go on and I'll read about people that died with the same diagnosis as me. In three weeks, they gave up. And the biggest part when I was in the hospital, like you said, what made me change was listening to my doctors, taking all the information in from my doctors, taking the information in from my wife that's been with me through this whole thing. My wife has been a positive support to me through this whole thing since day one. We, we got told I got cancer. And she has been on my side and she told me you're you're a fighter this is not gonna you this is not gonna get you and i firmly believe that you know and like i said it's a combination of things listen to your doctor do your chemo um follow up with your doctor um um very important is chemotherapy the chemotherapy has really helped me with the battle, my friend cancer <laughs> that's in me. Um, so that said, um, the people that are giving up, please, please don't give up because it's only light on the end of the tunnel that you can get through this and get to where I am right now. And now I'm thinking for 2019, I'm not only better, I'm going to be even better and start traveling and uh, doing things I've never done before beyond what I, you know, when I was working seven days a week and couldn't even go on a vacation. And now I want to go on my vacation I never went on before. With stage four pancreatic cancer, I was supposed to be dead six months ago. <laughs> and, uh, nope, it's going to come with me, and I'm going to do my normal activities, and it's not. It's not going to hurt me because I'm its friend. You sort of get it. That's so powerful, Paul, and I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's a. Uh, I think you know one thing that I will say, and for our listeners at home that have listened to the Project Purple podcast, we've had a lot of survivors, and there's I think the one thing, and Sam can probably back this up since he's here in the studio, that we've heard from all of the survivors and fighters is that positive outlook. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's something that if there's someone listening at home that has a loved one going through it, or if there's someone listening at home that is fighting pancreatic cancer, is that positive outlook and that mental mindset is so powerful to stay positive in such a negative world. And that's the one thing, I mean, you, you said it, right? Like you went to the internet the first time and, and what do you see? Just doom and gloom, right? Yeah. And it's so hard. I wish, I mean, there, there is, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat things out there. 
there is a very serious reality to this disease, but there is hope and there's faith and there's positivity that can be learned from this. And this is life, right, Paul? I mean, this is the, the battle of life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I take it as part of my life. It, it happened. I accepted it. And uh, I move forward. And it doesn't mean you're going to die. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I yeah, you, people do die with cancer, but it doesn't mean you're, you know, you're gonna, that's the problem. And everybody freaks out and they, uh, you know, and they got negative mindset every day. Not everybody freaks out, but I, I've uh, heard some stories and I know three people, that a friend of a friend or neighbor of a friend that was diagnosed the same time I was and they're already gone. And I wish I could talk to them too late now. I can't. I wish I could. Because they gave up. One didn't want to do chemo. The other one was misdiagnosed. No, um, excuse me. The other one never wanted to go to the doctor and thought he had a stomach ache. And it went to like stage five. I don't know. It just went. Because I can tell you this, when it hit stage four, when I was diagnosed, I went downhill really fast really fast. I mean, literally hours, hours. It, it was just attacking my pancreas and my tumor was growing so large in my body. It was shutting me down so fast. It was unbelievable it, 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 what it was doing to me so fast. It was within days. And I, I went from looking normal to being skinny as a twig and, and yellow and can't breathe and oxygen and wheelchair and holy crap it really hits you hard but doesn't mean you're gonna die either you still gotta you gotta stay positive like I did I fought through it and I did what my doctors told me and I listened to my wife and I stayed that positive attitude and then I became friends with the cancer and say this is part of me I'm gonna live with it I'm gonna fight with it I'm gonna live with it and and I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be the longest pancreatic patient cancer person in the world to live as long as I'm going to live. I promise you this. I promise you. If you've seen pictures of me today, I look better now than I did when I didn't have cancer. It's crazy. It's really crazy to even think that. I post pictures on my Facebook out with my friend on Saturday. And I look at those pictures and I think, I, damn, I look better now than I did a year ago. That's I was a, overweight. That's over. That's, I was overweight. That's I'm amazing. I'm skinny now because I have cancer. I lost weight and I look better. So there's a po a negative turning into a positive. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's you. What I'm you at. No, you you look at it from that mental aspect, like you said. You just said like you were overweight before, and now you're not overweight. And that's the positive that comes out of that, you know, and that's, but that's mindset though, Paul, right? Like that doesn't, but see like that to me doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I think there is some somewhat of an enlightening when people are diagnosed or are sick or have something life shattering happen in their life. And this is, or life altering, I should say, not necessarily life shattering. Sometimes that happens to people. They have like you know, a car accident or they have a loved one pass away and they realize like, oh, wow, I got to wake up. I got to start eating right. I got to do this. I got to do that. But I go back to what you said in the beginning. This was part of your mindset in the very beginning. You used to work out. You ate healthy. You were positive. And then 
being diagnosed with this, unfortunately being misdiagnosed a couple times, which is frustrating as we talked about, but then shifting that mindset to realizing that this is a positive in my life right now or treating it as a positive, we should say, right? Because it's not, it's not, being sick is not positive, but seeing it as a positive and treating it as a positive, like you said, like, I like the cancer. It's my friend. I'm going to treat it as a friend. Like someone would treat their friend in a positive way and not in a negative way is very powerful because your mind then is, you're not, you're not going into this, looking at the statistics online and saying, wow, man, like I'm done. Like, like you said, those three people, one decided not to go to the doctor because he didn't feel right. One decided he wasn't going to do chemotherapy treatment, you know, and, and unfortunately they're no longer with us, you know? So I think that's really, really powerful message for people listening at home is like your mind. And I've said this time and time again on the Project Purple podcast, the mind has the ability to do some amazing things. And you know what? There's probably a lot of people in this world that are living today fighting cancer and beating cancer and surviving cancer diagnosis, not just pancreatic cancer, but all cancers in general because of their positive mindset. I guarantee that. I totally believe that. And, you know, not only I feel great in doing things, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to go work 40 hours a week and go back to work. I can't do that. No. I'm just, no, I'm on too many medications. I am on a lot of medications. There's no doubt about it. I do have to drain my stomach every other day for fluid, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's like I said, it's my friend. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. I got a tube in me. Okay. It, it, none of this stuff bothers me. But um, what I like to bring up a little bit is, you know, I have these scans done on my my stomach, mm-hmm. uh, my whole abdomen. It's called a CAT scan, and they use a dye, and they go in there and they they look at all the vessels and they look at the cancer, okay, and they look how it's growing and stuff like that. And now my last CAT scan, which was about six weeks ago, um, my doctor, Dr. Lacey, Jill Lacey from. Yale Haven, top doctor, no no doubt about it. Probably one of the best in the country. Um, she's my doctor. She's been doing this forever, reading scans, taking care of pancreatic patients. And she read my scan, and she looked at my original scan when I first got into the hospital 11 months ago. And she said, I've never seen a scan or a tumor shrink this much on any patient I've ever seen. And I said, I turned to her and I said, Dr. Lacey, cancer is my friend and I'm positive. This is what does it. And she smiled at me and she listened on her end how I'm fighting it as a friend and as being positive. So that said, I have gone from number 5,000 I believe she said 5,000-something. They rate the tumor by number, okay, Mm -hmm. the size of the tumor. It went from 5,000 to 50. 50 from 5,000. In size, you know, I'm just just using a number. And the first time they ever seen a decrease in tumor size in a patient ever, and it just made me smile. At that point, I, I, I just want to share my story, and I'm glad you're having me here today. Because I want to share my story to other people with the same diagnosis or similar diagnosis 
to try what I'm doing. See if it works. Do I eat special food? No, I don't eat special food. I eat my favorite food. I eat macaroni and meatballs. I just ate, um, I have an appetite, believe it or not. I have an incredible appetite. I eat more now than I ever did. Um, but I eat the foods I like. I don't go by any crazy diets. I don't do any, I eat Oreo cookies. I eat my favorite, uh, M&Ms, one of my favorite. Um, I eat, you know, but that's my snack, but I don't avoid it. But I do eat egg whites in the morning for protein. Protein is your friend with cancer too. So I do uh, egg whites in the morning. I make them myself and I eat the bread and I eat fairly healthy. I eat a healthy choice meal for lunch, you know, and, but you don't have to go on any crazy diet, what you read online, because that's bullshit. <laughs> you got to have this certain rice from another country or <laughs> take a bath in baking soda and, you know, all this crazy stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. And uh, here I am speaking today as one of the most improved patients that Yale New Haven has seen, you know. And I asked my doctor, I say, Dr. Lacey, how long am I going to live with this? Even though it's a little negative there, I still ask. Mm-hmm. And she won't answer me. She said, Paul, you're doing amazing. Just keep on doing what you're doing. So I keep on doing what I'm doing. And like I said in the beginning, it's a combination of things. And I'm willing to help anybody out there. I'll, I'll even put my personal email online, my personal cell phone number. You could text me anytime, 24-7, because I'm willing to help anybody out there with cancer. I really am. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. So what's some advice you can give someone who maybe has a loved one battling any cancer that would be helpful and not create more stress in that person who's battling life, from your perspective? Well, the, the first thing I would say is listen to the doctors. Talk to their doctors and then talk to your family member that's suffering with cancer and talk to them in a positive manner and support them and say positive things to them um, because if they're not positive, you need to help them be positive like my wife did. Um, you know, um, I wouldn't overwhelm them. You don't have to see them every day, but, you, you know, you got to give them their space because they're sick. You know, people that are sick are pretty irritable. Um, I've been there, believe me. Um, but, you know, um, I wouldn't try to tell that person what to do or which way to sleep or let the doctors decide that. They're the professionals here. They know. The, the, the people at Smilo know what to do. There's doctors that are bad, yes. Is there doctors that are bad in that hospital? Yeah, there is. They're not all good. They're not all 100%. I, I know all of them. Listen, I've been in there, listen, many, many times already. I know everybody on the 12th floor. And there's some really good people there that really helped me. And there's some nurses that kind of didn't help me. But as far as like what you your question was, was like, you know, what do you do with a family member? And, you know, I'm say I'm not sick and, and you know, the person, your brother got cancer. Just don't stress them. You don't want to add any stress to the person's life. You don't want to talk about making a will. You don't want to talk about any of that stuff. You want to talk about positive stuff. Hey, we're going to go on vacation next year. 
or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, or we're going to do your whatever the person's hobby is. Talk to them about their hobbies. You know, bring them books. If they like to read books, bring them books. If they like to watch Motor Trend Channel like I like to watch, I'm a car guy, you know, make sure the cable has Motor Trend. You know, just keep their mind positive. That's all. That's all you need to do. You don't need to overwhelm the person. You really don't. Because they're going to heal themselves. They're going to heal from inside with their mind and their positivity and the doctors. That's powerful stuff, Paul. You know, this is it. This is reality. I'm telling you reality. Listen, I'm stage four pancreatic cancer patient. It really doesn't get... I've been through hell. Let me tell you. I've been through hell, okay, and back with pain and stressors. And on that bed, thinking I'm going to be dead, really was, really was, I was really, really sick, okay? And because I did all this as a combination of things, it got me to where I am today. I didn't think I was going to make it to Christmas 2018. I really didn't. And you know what? That's when I was sick. But when my mind changed and I became positive and the friend with my cancer, I did make it to Christmas 2018 and New Year's 2019. And here it is almost the end of January and spring is around the corner. And guess what? I could take my Corvette out for a nice ride. Those are the things that keep me positive. Those are the things I love to do. And I'm just trying to experience my, you know, not everybody likes Corvettes or mechanic or, you know, is in the tools and likes to shop like me, you know, but everybody has a hobby. Everybody does. Everybody has something they like to do. And that's what you want to bring to them, what they like to do. What more can I say? (laughs) It's powerful stuff, buddy. I want to shift gears here and talk for a little while about your hobby. And you've mentioned it a couple times and I can tell on the phone, like your voice just, it gets, gets excited. The Corvettes. So, have you always been into cars? I've been into cars my whole life, since I was five years old. I've been in, you know, I, I've always tinkered with cars since I was a young kid. I would go out and buy a car for $50 and take it apart and put it back together just to fix, learn how it, it ticks and talks. I'm a, I was a self-learner, and I was progressing into a professional master technician, and um as of today, I'm still able to do um, mentally what I, the knowledge I share with others because I'm not actually able to do what I can, you know, used to do because my hands are numb, yeah. my legs are numb. But I, I still do it. Even I still do it. But I keep that positive attitude. But, you know, I, I do ask for help at times, you know, from friends that help when I work on cars. What was your first car ever? Uh, I'm a Chevy person, but my first car was a 1974 Dodge Duster six-cylinder piece of crap, you know. Um, yeah. And then I realized after having it six months that I don't want a Dodge. I want a Chevy. So I always had my Chevy Monte Carlos. <laughs> I like the Monties. I, we, so I'll tell you, uh, my, our, my first car was my family's first car here in the United States, which was a 1970 uh Chevrolet Malibu, the Chevy Malibu. It wasn't the SS. I always wanted the SS with the stripes down the middle, but uh, that stayed in the family. 
oh man, it, it was passed down to my brother, and then my brother ended up getting a, a Trailblazer, a small when they first I think or a Blazer when they first came out, and then I ended up getting that when I went to college, and uh, that became my like pride and joy was that that Chevy Malibu man, and it was funny, uh, my wife and I. We just went uh, used car shopping, and there was a '69, I think it was the SS, um, which similar, but it was in a used car dealer, and it was sold. And I was like, it was all restored, and I was like, oh man, I should have kept that car. I should have kept that car. But uh, I'm with you. I love the Chevys. I've never driven. I mean, I've driven plenty of Fords, I should say, from the rental standpoint. Um, but I've always, we've always owned Chevy, and I own a Chevy Silverado now. So <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, I, I get you there. I, maybe that's an Italian thing, Paul. That you know, the Italians just went straight to the Chevys. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's just, um, you know, and I, I, I really appreciate all makes and models today because today the cars are amazing. And for me, uh, I watched Barrett Jackson this weekend. And uh, the, the, they're, they're taking these old cars from the 50s and 60s, and they're putting the modern engines in them. Oh, my God. And the value is going up more than when they are stock. They're wow. learning that the new technology in the old car is this astounding combination because you have the old body, the old style, and then you have the new engine, the new fuel injection, the new differentials and all that to go along with it with all the computers. And the cars just drive like unbelievable, but still hold that that style of the older cars. Amazing what they're doing today with uh, uh, retrofitting all these all these older cars with modern drivetrains. That's phenomenal. Uh, last question on the cars: If you had to pick your dream car, what would it be, and why? Oh, uh, my, my my dream car is always Corvette. Um, you know, I I. I was going to buy a Corvette ZR1 that just came out in 2019, but obviously I can't afford it now. Yeah. But uh, my dream car is a 2019 Corvette ZR1. Um, it'd probably be manual because uh, manual is a little more fun, even though the automatic's faster. But uh, uh, convertible, so I could put the top down and smile while I'm driving. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I've uh, I've never had a Corvette. Uh, I know that every year they change a bit, and I think that's like the 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 nostalgia with the Corvettes, right? Is like the models as they roll them out, and I know there was body style changes, but Chevy's done a great job, and there's such a following with Corvettes. I, I my older son was into cars for a little while as a young teen. He's still into it not as much as he used to be. And I remember probably three or four years ago going to a car show here locally, here in Connecticut, and just seeing all the Corvettes like lined up. They had a special section just for Corvettes. And it just through the years and just see the differences and everything is just pretty wild. Yes. The new ones are unbelievable. And I'll be honest with you, um, the new ones, you know, 2014 and today's date, which is the C7 Corvette, is a very easy car to work on. I, I, have, I have taken them completely apart. I have supercharged them. Wow. I have one in my garage right now that's a friend of mine um, that he um, basically said, here's the keys, take it. But um, the car's been here since the summer. I enjoyed it all summer. I've been modifying it little by little. It's in the garage here, and I keep on doing mods after mods. But the, 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 the new C7 Corvette is exceptional. Uh, way beyond beyond the other Corvettes, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the new C8, and uh, there you go, another positive thing. Hey, the C8's coming out 
um, the new Corvette 2020 in um, end of 2019, you know, oh, yes, I have a positive thing. I will be here to see it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think the the motor show just happened. I think last week. I have we have a lady who uh, who unfortunately lost her mom. She I think she works with Dodge, but she's always at these. I I follow her. Um, I've met her multiple times, but she lives up in Boston. But she works for I think um, Dodge or Chrysler. I I guess uh, would be the the proper term. And she travels to all the auto shows. And so I think Detroit was just last week, maybe, I thought I saw on the news. Or, yes, Detroit and New- Auto Show was this past week, yeah. Yeah, and, and New York is usually around this time, right? It's usually in the in the early winter and stuff like that. So, But Detroit, I know, is usually the big one. But I did I thought I did see that there was um, some talk about like how there's been this big shift, and this is unrelated to Corvettes, but... You know, like the uh, the sedans are no longer a thing, and it's more of these crossover and SUVs. That was the one thing I think I yeah. caught from the media about the Detroit show was like there are less there were less new sedans that there's ever been that were introduced, and it's all the it's all the rage is the crossover SUV rage right now. Exactly true. It, um, eventually, there's going to be no more four door cars because they're not making money. And when Crazy. they're not making money with these vehicles, they're going to eliminate making them. If nobody wants them and they're not in demand, yeah. they're just going to stop making them. It's so um, fascinating. You know, it, it seems like big horsepower cars are, are here and um, SUVs are here to stay for a long time. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. So I guess if we have any car enthusiasts uh, listening at home, now would be the time to stock up on those Honda Accord four doors and like just put them in your uh, garage and just let them sit there for like thirty years, and then they'll be worth you know a million dollars because you have the last Honda Accord sedan, uh, right? Like if you think about that, like someone's thinking about that, right? Like uh, I'm sure there's someone out there that's like collecting four door sedans right now in mint condition and putting them in a garage somewhere uh to bring them back that maybe in like 15 years that'll be retro (laughs) that's great stuff it's great stuff so i've got two questions for you here left and um you've been an awesome guest here and and just hearing you you talk and it's just been so powerful and hopefully our our audience feels that same power coming through here on the microphone but last uh, second to last question is and i know you've given a lot of advice but if there's one thing or two things or a statement, what advice would you give to someone who has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that's listening to the podcast episode? Do not go on the internet and read anything about it. Listen to your doctors. Do not go on Google. Don't. Because that stuff online is not real. It's only 3%. I'm going to say, you know, it's only 3% of the population. So... My advice is somebody was just diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's an, I understand it's going to hit you hard. I understand. I've been through all that, but you, you, you got to accept it and you got to accept it as a part of your life. You got to accept it and, uh, stay positive. It's powerful stuff. It's easier said than done because I think people's initial reaction is to go to the internet because people look at the internet as like this valuable resource. But I, I think that's powerful, man. And just stay off the internet, but you know, have faith in your doctors. And if you don't, go find another doctor. There's so many doctors out there, you know, and that's what I always tell patient families is, you know, have faith in that doctor. Well, and that's so true because I want to move out of Connecticut. It's 
you know, I don't, yeah. I'm not a fan of Connecticut. For of a lot of, yeah, the taxes. Yeah. Is, I won't go there. I won't get into yeah, that's, that's another podcast, Paul. We'll bring you back for the, for that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you though, with the internet, because it is so, I, I think it's like this, this tug of war. It can, it, knowledge is power, right? And I think fake news, internet, it's so easy to get onto a page because the internet is, there's really no regulation in the internet unless it's, you know, unless it, it reaches that level, I guess the FCC can take down a website, but anyone can go out and put a website up. I mean, ISIS does it, right? Like these terrorist groups do it. And, you know, so I think that's so powerful is, you know, just stay off the internet and just believe in your team, doctors, family that are positive and eliminating that stressors in your life. And the internet can become a big stressor in your life if you are reading stuff that is not necessarily accurate, but also not giving you positivity in the sense. And there is a realistic uh, view here as well. But I think, you know, from someone who's walk the talk and walk the walk, I should say, um, you know, in terms of, you know, someone who was diagnosed with the, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer, but as you said, you are better now than you were a year ago is powerful stuff. So that is evidence, Paul, that a positive attitude and, you know, eliminating the stresses in your life can make all the difference in the world for someone who's battling. So appreciate you for coming on the Project Purple podcast, sharing your story. And I'm going to end with this, and we're going to give the audience an opportunity where they can find you here in a second. But your statement of, I like the cancer, it is my friend, and chemo's my friend, and cancer's my friend, is so goddamn powerful, man. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast and being truthful and honest with us, and um, that is just so powerful. So hopefully the audience at home um, can take away what I took away from our conversation because it's such such an inspiration, Paul. Keep doing what you're doing, buddy. And on that note, if our audience would like to find you, uh, what's the best way that they could reach out to you and you can give whatever information and the information you'll give is going to be public. So we just let you know that up front. Yes, uh, I would like that. And uh, the easy way to contact me is on Facebook. Everybody just about has Facebook and uh, social media. Uh, my Facebook page is my name, Paul, F-E-R-R-U-C-C-I. Just friend request me with a message that you're interested in talking with me about um, whatever situation you have with cancer. Um, I can also be reached on my cell phone. I'll, I'll even give out my personal cell phone. It's 203-690-2112. You could te- texting is the best way to uh, communicate with me because of, um, you know, it's easier. I love to text. I'm a texter. And uh, my voice sometimes goes off, and, and uh, I don't want to be called ma'am. <laughs> and I've been called ma'am. So, um, you know, and I find it funny. That's, I love it. You know, I take all my, like I said in the beginning, I take all my negatives that are happening to me and turn them into positives. That's the key to beating pancreatic cancer or any type of cancer in this state. I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. And again, from all of us here at Project Purple, thank you for allowing us to share your story with our community on the Project Purple podcast, and you've been an awesome guest. And I'm gonna leave the audience once again with uh, your positive attitude and treating cancer like it's your friend. So powerful, Paul. Thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast. (laughs) 